Section one of Wayside and Woodland Trees A Pocket Guide to the British Silva by Edward Stepp. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section one Native Trees and Shrubs Part one The Oak Quercus Robur When good John Evelyn wrote his Silva or a discourse of forest trees, he was greatly concerned lest our wooden walls should diminish in strength for want of a succession of stout oaks in our woodlands, and therefore he put the oak in the forefront of his discourse. Today steel and teak have largely supplanted oak in the building of our navy, and our walls of defense are no longer of wood. Yet in spite of these changes and the consequent reduction of the oak's importance, we must still look upon it as the typical British tree and regardless of its place in botanical classifications we shall follow the lead of our master and place it first on our list there is no necessity for entering upon a minute description of the botanical characters of so well known a tree the sturdy massive trunk firm as a rock the broad rounded outline of its head caused by the downward sweeping extremities of the wide spreading lower limbs the wavy outline of the lobed leaves and the equally distinct egg and cup-shaped fruit these are characters that cannot be confused with those of any other tree and are the most familiar objects in the landscape in most parts of our islands to my mind no wood is so awe-inspiring as one filled with old oaks all so much alike yet each with a distinct individuality we regard with reverence a human centenarian who may have nothing beyond his great age to commend him to us but we think of the long period of history of which he has been a spectator possibly an active maker of history the huge oak has probably lived through ten or twenty such periods compared with the oak man is of but mushroom growth it does not produce an acorn until sixty or seventy years old and even then it is not mature not till a century and a half have passed over its head is its timber fit for use and as a rule it is not felled under the age of two hundred years many trees are left to a much greater age or we should not have still with us so many venerable specimens and where they have not been left until partially decayed the timber is found to be still very valuable when finally cut down of one of these patriarchs of the forest cut down in the year eighteen ten we have figures of quantity and value from a contemporary record it was known as the galenos oak and stood about four miles from newport monmouthshire when felled it yielded two thousand four hundred twenty six cubic feet of sound timber and six tons of bark it was bought just as it stood for four hundred five pounds and the purchaser had to pay eighty two pounds for labor for stripping felling and converting into timber five men were employed for twenty days in stripping the bark and felling the tree and after that a pair of sawyers working six days a week were five months cutting it up but the bark realized two hundred pounds and the timber about four hundred pounds the timber and bark from this one tree were about equal to the average produce of three acres of oak coppice after fifteen years growth full-grown oaks vary in height from sixty to one hundred and thirty feet the difference depending upon situation the tallest of course being those that have been drawn up in forests at the expense of their branches trees growing freely in the open are of less height and are made to appear comparative dwarfs by the huge proportions of the bowl in the forest this may be no more than ten feet in girth but in isolated specimens may be as much as fifty-four feet cowthorpe oak 
with a much broader base the thick rough bark is deeply furrowed in a large network pattern which affords temporary hiding places for insects the branches are much given to turn and zigzag from side to side a character that makes them very useful in boat building as knees of various angles may be cut from them without having recourse to bending the best knees are to be obtained from oaks grown in the hedgerow the oak flowers in april or may and the blossoms are of two distinct forms male and female the males are in little clusters which are borne at intervals along a hanging stalk two or three inches in length they are green and therefore inconspicuous but examined separately they will be found to have a definite calyx whose margin is cut into an uncertain number four to seven of lobes there are no petals but attached to the sides of the calyx there are ten stamens the female flowers are fewer and will be found on short erect stalks above the male catkins each female flower consists of a calyx invested by a number of overlapping scales and enclosing an ovary with three styles the ovary is divided into three cells each containing two seed eggs an acorn should therefore contain six kernels but as a rule only one of the seed eggs develops though occasionally an acorn contains two kernels the overlapping scales at the base of the female flower become the rough cup that holds the acorn the oak is subject to a considerable amount of variation probably due to the differences of situation soil etc and some authors have sought to elevate certain of the varieties into species by giving them distinctive names it does not appear to be certain however that these forms are at all constant and they are connected by intermediate forms that make the identification of many individuals a matter of difficulty in one of these forms Cecilliflora, the stalk of the acorns connecting them with the branch is very short but the leaves have a distinct foot stalk from half an inch to an inch long this form is more plentiful in the north and west and is conspicuous in the forest of dean a second form known as pedunculata has the leaf stalk short or absent the base of the leaf broad and somewhat heart-shaped and the stalk upon which the acorns are borne very long a third form intermedia commonly known as dermast has short leaf stalks short stalks to the acorns and the underside of the leaf downy pedunculata is found more on the lower hills and the sides of valleys whilst cecifolora prefers higher ground with a southern or western aspect the oak is most abundant on clay soils but is at its best when growing in deep sandy loam where there is also plenty of humus its roots in such soil strike down to a depth of five feet and therefore it thrives in association with beech whose roots are much nearer the surface and whose fallen leaves supply it with humus the oak is more persistently attacked by insects than any other tree one authority leonis has tabulated the species that get their living mainly or entirely from their attacks on the foliage timber or bark and they number about five hundred with some species this warfare is waged on so extensive a scale that in some years by early summer the oaks are almost divested of their foliage and a new crop of leaves becomes a necessity but the reserve forces of the oak are quite equal to this drain and the tree does not appear to suffer though a much less thorough attack would be serious to a conifer one of the worst of these oak spoilers though it by no means restricts its energies to attacks on this tree is the mottled umber moth hibernia defoliaria whose pretty caterpillars may be seen hanging by silken threads from the leafless twigs 
a striking oak insect is the stag beetle lucanus servus which in warm evenings in the south of england may be seen flying round the oaks the size and antler-like jaws of the male arousing feelings of respect in the minds of those who are not acquainted with its habits the formidable-looking horns are usually harmless the beetle spends its larval stage in the wood of unhealthy oaks and when mature seeks his hornless mate among its foliage perhaps the most interesting of the oaks pensioners to the woodland rambler will be the varied forms of gall on different parts of the tree there is the so-called oak apple of uneven surface and spongy to the touch which certain people still wear on may twenty ninth in honor of charles the second the well-rounded hard bullet gall of sinips calari the artichoke gall of sinips gemmae the spangle galls of neuroterus lenticularis so plentiful on the back of the leaf and the root gall of biorisa optera all these galls are abnormal growths due to the irritation set up by the gall wasps named when they pierced the young tissues in order to lay their eggs in them where any of these galls are perforated it may be known that the gall wasp whose grub fed within has flown but where there is no such perforation the grub is still within feeding upon the flesh of the gall or in the chrysalis stage awaiting translation to the winged condition several oaks of foreign origin are also grown in our parks and open spaces among them the holm oak quercus elix whose evergreen leathery leaves have toothed or plain edges and occasionally the lower ones develop marginal spines whence its name of holm or holly oak it is notable for retaining its lower branches so that its appearance as loudon remarks even when fully grown is that of an immense bush rather than that of a timber tree it is a native of southern europe and north africa and appears to have been introduced about the middle of the sixteenth century it usually attains a height of from twenty to thirty feet but occasionally specimens are seen up to sixty feet it has a much thinner more even bark than that of our native oak and of a black color the long brown acorns do not ripen until the second year the turkey oak quercus serus is a much larger tree attaining to similar heights to our british oak but easily distinguishable by its more pyramidal outline and its attenuated leaves the lance-shaped lobes of these are unequal sharp and angular and the footless acorn cups are covered with bristly or mossy looking scales the acorns which are small and exceedingly bitter rarely open till their second autumn the whole tree trunk branches and twigs is of straighter growth than quercus robur it is a native of southern europe and the levant and was introduced about one hundred and seventy years ago the spring rambler in the woods may come upon a party of woodmen stripping young oaks of their bark or felling them whilst cylinders of separated bark rest across poles in the process of drying this is the industry of barking for the purpose of the tanner when the oaks in a coppice are about sixteen years old they are most suitable for this purpose the bark then containing a larger percentage of tannin than at any other period the operation is best performed in may when the sap is in flow and should be completed between the first swelling of the leaf buds and the unrolling of the leaves if the weather is cold and damp the bark will peel the better provided there is an absence of north or east winds before the tree is cut down the bole is stripped the first ring being taken from just above the roots to a height of two and a half feet above 
when the tree is felled it is cut into lengths and the bark stripped from them then all branches that are an inch or more in diameter are peeled the bark is piled to dry for a couple of weeks and is then broken into small pieces and sent away in sacks it is not alone in the use of the bark that the tannic acid of the oak is made evident it is to the presence of this that the austerity of the acorn is due and also the ink producing properties of certain oak galls everything connected with the tree gets a roughness of flavor from this same principle even that remarkable fungus the vegetable beefsteak that may be found on old oaks in autumn is impregnated with it prior regards the name of oak anglo-saxon ach as originally belonging to the fruit and only later transferred to the tree that produces it the more obvious explanation though we know that in entomological and other matters the obvious is not always the true interpretation is that ach corn signified the corn or fruit of the ach selby tells us that during the anglo-saxon rule and even for some time after the conquest oak forests were chiefly valued for the fattening of swine laws relating to pannage or the fattening of hogs in the forests were enacted during the heptarchy and by ina's statutes any person wantonly injuring or destroying an oak tree was mulcted in a fine varying according to the size or the quantity of mast it produced the beech fagus sylvatica we speak of the oak as the monarch of the woods and to the beech the title mother of forests has been given to the timber merchant the beech has little importance but the grower of timber freely acknowledges his heavy indebtedness to this nursing mother for in the words of professor gayer the bavarian forestry expert without beech there can no more be properly tended forests of broad-leaved genera as along with it would have to be given up many other valuable timber trees whose production is only possible with the aid of beech quite apart from utilitarian considerations we should be very sorry to lose the beech with its towering massive shaft clad in smooth gray bark its spreading roots above the soil and the dense shade of its fine foliage fortunately for the lover of natural beauty it is this luxuriant growth of leaves and the shade it gives that are the redeeming virtues of the beech in the eye of the forester its drip destroys most of the soil exhausting weeds its shade protects the soil from over evaporation and the heavy crop of leaves enriches it by their decomposition on these points the forestry experts of today join hands with john evelyn who nearly two hundred fifty years ago thus referred to it the shade unpropitious to corn and grass but sweet and of all the rest most refreshing to the weary shepherd lentus in umbra echoing amaryllis with his oaten pipe and again after giving us a long catalogue of the varied uses to which beechwood may be put he adds yet for all this you would not wonder to hear me deplore the so frequent use of this wood if you did consider that the industry of france furnishes that country for all domestic utensils with excellent walnut a material infinitely preferable to the best beech which is indeed good only for shade and for the fire in the days of open hearths and chimney corners the beech was extensively used for fuel and is still reputed to make good charcoal but today the chairmaker and the turner are the chief users of its wood the beech well grown attains a height of about one hundred feet and a girth of twenty feet there was until recently a beech in norbury park surrey one hundred sixty feet in height its branches horizontally spreading gave it a head of enormous proportions 
hooker gives the diameter of the knoll beach as three hundred fifty two feet which means a circumference of about as many yards it will grow in most upland places where the oak thrives though it does not need so deep a soil and has a preference for land containing lime fresh mineral soils rich in humus are the best for it in poor soils its growth is slow and its life is longer it begins to bear mostly at about eighteen years of age and thereafter gives good crops at intervals of three or five years in spring just before the buds expand the twigs of the beech have a very distinct appearance they are long and slender placed alternately along the twig and the brown envelopes retain their shape long after they have been cast off it is interesting to note how well these are mimicked by a glossy spindle-shaped snail clausilla laminata that has a decided fondness for the beech as the snails crawl up the bowl or over the moss at its base it is not easy at a glance to say which are snails and which bud envelopes this is one of the protective resemblances adopted by many animals to give them a chance of eluding their natural enemies in this case the thrush and other birds in the bud the leaf is folded fanwise and the folds run parallel with the nerves they expand into an oval smooth-faced leaf with slightly scooped edges and a most delicate fringe of short gossamer which falls off later these leaves evelyn recommended as a stuffing for beds declaring that if gathered about the fall and somewhat before they are much frost-bitten they afford the best and easiest mattresses in the world to lay under our quilts instead of straw in switzerland i have sometimes lain on them to my great refreshment that last clause seems to imply that the authorities at home would not allow the introduction of new-fangled bed stuffings but remained true to straw these leaves are rich in potash and as they readily decay they produce an admirable humus in sheltered places the leaves turned to a light ruddy brown color are retained on the lower branches until cast off by the expansion of the new buds in early summer whilst the leaves are still pellucid the shade of a big beech is particularly inviting later the leaves become opaque and their glossy surfaces throw back the heat rays then the play of light upon the great mass of foliage is very fine but when autumn has turned their deep green to orange and warm ruddy brown and they catch the red rays of the westering sun the tree appears to be turned into a blazing fire the beech flowers in april or may the blossoms are rather more conspicuous than is the case with the oak for the male flowers are gathered together in a hanging purplish brown rounded tassel with yellow anthers the female flowers to the number of two three or four are clustered in a cupel of overlapping scales like those of the oak but in the beech the cupel becomes a bristly enclosed box which afterwards opens by one end splitting into four triangular silk hair lined valves which turn back and reveal the three-sided sharp-edged mast this mast was formerly a very valuable product of the beech woods when herds of swine were turned in them to feed upon the fallen beech nuts agricultural methods have changed but though our hogs are now confined in styes and fed a diet that more rapidly fattens beech mast is still a good food eagerly taken by such woodland denizens as badgers deer squirrels and dormice the vitality of the beech is so high that quite frequently the bowl divides at its upper part into several trunks which rise straight up and each attains the dimensions of a complete tree 
often such a tree stands on a sandy bank and seems in eminent danger of toppling over but its uprightness secures it against strain and the roots that it sent down the steep side of the bank have thickened into strong props many such trees may be found along the hollow lanes in the green sand district of surrey and we have more than once sheltered from a storm under their roots we have already mentioned the value of the beech as a nurse for other trees and its frequent use for that purpose but it should also be stated that it is a powerful competitor with other trees and if these are left to fight their own battles unaided the beech will be the conqueror evelyn saw this more than two centuries ago and pointed out that where mixed woods of oak and beech were left to themselves they ultimately became pure beech woods the beech appears to gain this advantage through rooting in the surface soil and exhausting it of food elements suffers none to penetrate to the lower strata where the oak has its roots a number of insects feed upon the beech but they are mostly more beautiful or more singular than destructive the copper beech which is so effectively used for ornament in parks is merely a sub-variety of the common beech and all the examples in cultivation are believed to be sports from the purple variety which itself was a natural sport discovered in a german wood little more than a hundred years ago the modern word beech is derived from the anglo-saxon bach bitch boch which had very similar equivalents in all branches of the german and scandinavian family and from the fact that the literature of these people was inscribed on tablets of beech our word book has the same origin the birch betula alba the lady of the woods as coleridge christened the birch is at once the most graceful the hardiest and the most ubiquitous of our forest trees it grows throughout the length and breadth of our island and seems happy alike on a london common in a suburban garden or far up in the scottish highlands twenty five hundred feet it penetrates farther north than any other tree and its presence is a great boon to the natives of lapland it will grow where it is subjected to great heat as well as where it must endure extreme cold with its slender roots exploring the beds of peat the rich humus of the old wood or the raw soil of the mountainside where it has to cling to rocks and a few mosses given plenty of light and it seems to care for little else though a mere shrub in the far north with us the birch has a trunk sometimes as tall as eighty but more frequently fifty feet and a girth of from two to three feet in its first decade it increases in height at the rate of a foot and a half or two feet in a year but of course there is little breadth to be built up at the same time it reaches maturity in a half of century and before the other half is reached the birch will have passed away the bark of the birch is more enduring than its timber which may be partly due to its habit of casting off the outer layer in shreds like fine tissue paper from time to time the greater part of the bark is silvery white which adds to the apparent slenderness of the tree and makes it conspicuous from a long distance for the attenuated and drooping branches dressed in small and loosely hung leaves sway so constantly that the trunk is scarcely hidden the glossy leathery leaves vary in shape from a triangular form to a pointed oval their edges doubly toothed and their footstalks long and slender about april the hanging catkins of the birch which were in evidence in the previous autumn have matured and become dark crimson the scales separate and expose the two stamens of each flower which has a single sepal the female flowers are in a short more erect spike which consists of overlapping scales bracts each containing two or three flowers 
the flowers have neither petals nor sepals each consisting merely of an ovary with two slender styles after fertilization the female spike has developed into a little oblong cone the minute nuts have a pair of delicate wings to each and as they are set free from the cones they flutter on the breeze like a swarm of small flies the moss that usually covers the ground beneath the birch will be found in october to be thickly speckled with these fruits which are something more than seeds as they are commonly termed they are really analogous to the acorn a nut within a thin shell the tree sometimes begins to produce seed when only fifteen years old but as a rule it is ten years older before it bears and thereafter it has a crop every year it is strange how so striking and graceful a tree could have been so persistently ignored by the old school of landscape painters when one remembers with what good effect modern artists have utilized it in this connection we need not apologize for quoting at length a description of the tree from the artist's point of view because it also gives attention to those points one would like the rambler to notice mr p g hammerton in his sylvan year says the stem of the silver birch is one of the masterpieces of nature everything has been done to heighten its unrivalled brilliance the horizontal peeling of the bark making dark rings at irregular distances the brown spots the dark color of the small twigs the rough texture near the ground and the exquisite silky smoothness of the tight white bands above offer exactly that variety of contrast which makes us feel a rare quality like that smooth whiteness as strongly as we are capable of feeling it and amongst the common effects in all northern countries one of the most brilliant is the opposition of birch trunks in sunshine against the deep blue or purple of a mountain distance in the shadow at all seasons of the year the beauty of the birch is attractive and peculiarly its own the young beech may remind you of it occasionally under strong effects of light and is also very graceful but we have no tree that rivals the birch in its own qualities of color and form still less in that air and bearing which are so much more difficult to describe in winter you see the full delicacy of the sprays that the lightest foliage hides and in early spring this tree clothes itself next after the willow with tiny triangular leaves inexpressibly light in the mass so that from a distance they have the effect of a green mist rather than anything more material when the tree is isolated sufficiently to come against the sky you may see one of the prettiest sights in nature the pure deep azure of heaven with the silvery white and fresh green of the birch in opposition and yet it is not a crude green for there is a good deal of warm red in it which gives one of those precious tertiaries that all the true colorists value linnaeus named our common birch betula alba but more than a century ago Earhart pointed out that there were two well-defined forms of the tree which he proposed to separate as distinct species under the names of b varicosa and b pubescens hooker regards the first of these as the typical form for which he properly retains the linnaean name it is distinguished by having the base of the bowl covered with coarse rough and blackish bark the smooth leaves looking as though their base had been cut off and the twigs warty the bee pubescens of Earhart appears to be a variety of fry's bee glutinosa which hooker treats as a subspecies of bee alba the bark at its base is smooth and white its downy leaves have a triangular base and its twigs are free from warts it sometimes assumes a bush-like form the dwarf birch betula nana is a distinct species which occurs locally in the mountainous parts of northumberland and scotland 
it is not a tree but a bush only two or three feet in height its firm textured round leaves have scalloped margins and short footstalks the foliage of the birch in autumn turns to a yellow hue at this period and indeed for a month earlier there may be seen beneath the birch trees one of the most striking of our toadstools the fly agaric amanita muscarios so called from its use as the lethal ingredient in the making of fly papers from a bulbous base a creamy yellow stem arises decked about half its height with an ample hanging frill the upper side of the spreading cap is painted with crimson over which are scattered flecks of white or cream kid the remains of an outer envelope that was ruptured by the expansion of the cap and of which the frill represents the lower portion this species is really poisonous and the kamkotchkins are said to make their vodka superlatively intoxicating by the addition of this fungus to it on the trunk of the birch may sometimes be found a large fungus named polyporus betulinus whose root-like portion penetrates the bark and sucks up the sap birch bark is used for tanning certain kinds of leather and the peculiar odor of russian leather is said to be due to the use of birch in its preparation the birch agrees with the beech in two respects it is of little value for timber but as a nurse to young timber trees it is of considerable importance its name is from the anglo-saxon bjork birse and signifies the bark tree end of section one